There was a man not too long ago who was highlighted. His story was highlighted on NPR. His name was John Huckleberry. John was a 70-year-old man who had spent the last 35 years of his life in prison. And the NPR followed him as he was about to get out and as he was beginning to learn and acclimate and to acclimate to life outside of prison. He had never seen, he had never seen a cell phone, much less one that took pictures. So he began to learn this new world that he had never been a part of. And do you know what the hardest thing for him was? It was living life outside of prison. In fact, it talks about over and over again how he, he would rather actually be back inside uh, incarceration because it was just easier. It was familiar. It was what he knew. Why well, share this story with you? What Peter is going to share with us is that every single one of us in this room, whether, whether we are Christians or not, actually have a way of operating and a way of living that we prefer back there. We prefer... We prefer the prison, as it were, rather than freedom because it feels scary. It prefers we don't know how to deal with it, and that is in all of our hearts. And I would like to show you tonight that if you want to begin to live faithfully in this world, if you are a Christian, Peter is going to say you must understand something about hope, about hope, about what it is, about what it pushes us into, about the power in it. And so tonight, we're going to look at three things that, that Peter is telling us tonight about hope. First of all, we're going to look at, at this idea of what hope, about what here, I'll just highlight them for you up front here, about what hope, what hope is action is. This is going to be the first thing we look at. And then we're going to secondly look at not only hope's action, but we're going to look at what hope's result is. And then thirdly, what hope's cost is. So first of all, this idea of hope's action. Let me show you here in this text what I mean. Look at verse 13 there. Notice what Peter says. Peter says, therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you really need to know a couple of things. First, when Peter is talking about hope, he does so both in a noun. Hope can mean a noun, and it can also be a verb. Earlier in the letter, he's talking about hope. You have been born again into a living hope. That's the idea of a noun, and it is the content. Hang with me. It's the content for which we hope. Does that make sense? So when he talks about hope, he's saying it's the content of what we're hoping for. But in verse 13, he's using it as a verb. And he's saying, this is the thing that we look forward to with confidence. Now, remember last week I spoke a little about this. The biblical vision of hope is not a wish. We tend to think of hope as being something like, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. And it's actually more language of uncertainty than it is of certainty. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about hope. Instead, hope is about confidence in a future reality for the present. And to hope on something is to look forward to because it is in fact certain, because it is in fact real, because it is in fact true. Maybe an illustration to help you, help you make sense of this. Um, there's a saying that goes around that there's two things that are certain. Do you all remember what those are? Death and taxes. Exactly. Okay, so let's go with the latter, taxes for a moment. Now, 
whether or not you like it or not, you are probably already paying taxes, and if not, one of these days when you get out of college, you're going to have to. And so because the tax man cometh, they say, every April 15th, or if you file an extension, you get a little longer apparently. You audit folks out there will tell me that. But the idea is this. Or tax people, what do I say audit for? You tax folks will tell me that. You accountants out there. Um, the picture is this, is that throughout the year, you would be wise to set aside the appropriate sum that you are going to have to pay Uncle Sam. In other words, this means that you make decisions on that future reality in the present. You may not buy that shirt because you have to spend that money somewhere else. You may not go on that trip or go to the movies in this way because you need to save that money to pay the taxes. The picture that he wants you to see and to understand is that there is a future event that is certain. And Peter is saying this, you must set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying there in verse 13. And it's to be done fully. This is the idea of hope. You see it there? To set your hope fully. Nothing else is meant to get our hearts. Why would this be so important? Again, another illustration to show you here what I mean. I want you to think about two people. This comes from a, a, a pastor that I look up to, a speaker, author named Tim Keller, who shares this illustration of two men working. They're doing a menial task. Maybe it's breaking up rocks or something like that. And they're going to do it for a year. And let's say you're going to pay person A to do that task. You're going to pay him $30 million for the year's labor. But over here, you're going to pay person B, the same person, to work you know, 60 hours a week doing that same thing. You're going to pay him $30,000. Question. Which one of them is going to be able to do that task and endure that work a lot better than the other? Obviously the one who knows the greater sum of money is coming his way. He might be whistling with his work. He's like, give me the rocks, I'll break them. I got $30 million coming my way. And this guy over here is like, I can barely sustain it. Now you might say, yeah, but it has to do with their internal desire. It has to do with their internal constitution. <laughs> yes, but why? Because of the hope that they're looking forward to. The certainty of what is coming. What does all this mean? Very simply, to live as a Christian in this world from Peter's framework is to be a person who is full of hope. And here's what I want you to try to begin to see tonight. All of us have some vision of what the future ought to look like. All of us do. Christian or not. And basically what you're doing is, is you're trying to order your life unto that end, unto that goal. And so every single one of us in this room tonight is actually inherently hopeful. We're always looking into the future. We're always looking into the future and ordering our lives in the present about it. I'll put it this way. To be a human being and certainly to be a follower of Jesus means that you are reaching out and grabbing that hope and pulling it into the present and doing life on the basis of that future reality. Every single one of you is doing it. So here's the question. What is the substance of your hope? What is it? What is the thing that you're living your life for or basing your life on? Peter tells us that you ought to be the sort of people that are setting your hope on the, revela on the grace that is to come to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And yet for some of us, we're faced with that question and we have to do business with this. That many of us are thinking, my hope is in a good future. That my hope is getting that job. That my hope is getting a 4-0 this semester. And I'm ordering my life to it. Some of you think, I'll finally be happy. I'll finally have my life together if I can just get him to ask me out. If I can just get her to say yes to going out with me. If I can just find a spouse. You see, fill in the blank. Blank, what is your hope? What is your hope? And the idea is is that all of us have something we're hoping on. And it's generally probably something very, very good. Very, very good that God has made for our enjoyment. But it takes the pinnacle spot in our hearts. And Jesus is saying through his word to us tonight that to be the sort of person to see your life actually changed is to be a person who, is, who has this action, this idea of what is hope's action. It is setting our hope fully on the grace that is to come to us in, in Jesus Christ. Let's take a look secondly as what else Jesus points us to in his word where he says hope's result. Hope's result. I'm looking at verses 14 through 17. I'd love for you to turn there with me. Did you notice what happens as we begin to live out of this hopeful disposition. When we begin to live as hopeful people, what happens? As obedient people, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here is what Peter is trying to tell us. He is trying to say that in light of your new hope, Peter is saying something, something begins to happen to us. Something begins to go in inside of us and begin to change us. And here it is, that we begin to take on the character of our Father in heaven. That we begin to take on the character of our Father in heaven. Think about it like this way. Um, I have a daughter, uh, she's five, and this just happened tonight. Uh, I, I wrote the illustration and then it actually happened, which was glorious. It happens all the time, actually. Um, when I ask my daughter Evangeline questions, I'll say, hey, sweetheart. And she's in kindergarten. I said, how was kindergarten today? And um, she'll say, well, it was da 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 And I'll ask her some other time some other questions. She'll say, well, it was da 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 And Laura and I, my wife and I, we look at each other and we're like, why is she saying well, da 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 da. Like that's her, that's her first thing. Is well, da 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 da. I don't get that. And Laura said, I don't know why she's doing it. And you know what came out of my mouth? Well, <laughs> right? Well, and I was like, oh, I see now. Why did I share that with you? She has begun to take on her father's resemblance her character, the way that she speaks. She's watched me, she's seen me, and now she's actually talking like me, believe it or not. And what Peter is trying to show us is this, that when you become become a person of hope, you begin to have your life changed and where that your character begins to reflect the character of your Heavenly Father. And what is the nature of that character? Here it is. Holiness. holiness. That when you become a Christian, 
that God works inside of you in such a way that when you begin to see the future hope that's coming yours, it changes you from the inside. And it actually makes you like God Himself. Now here's the thing you have to think about with holiness. Most of you, when you think of holiness, think of probably something like self-righteousness. Holiness is awful. It's like it makes you want to vomit when you think of the word because there's negative connotation associated with it. But here's the thing. The Bible actually talks about holiness in wonderful ways. Do you remember the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And do you know what he says about him? Cool, cool, cool. Nope. Jesus is my homeboy, homeboy, homeboy. No. What, is, what does Isaiah say? Holy. 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 The angels say it. The angels are bowing down. It's said about God Himself that He's holy. And what does holiness mean? Holiness in the Bible just simply means this. It means set apart. It meant set apart for a purpose, for particular use. If you're baking a cake and you scoop out a cup of flour, that, co- that cup of flour has now been separated from the other five pounds and is now useful for the purpose of baking a cake. That's what it means to be set apart. And what Peter is saying is, is that when the gospel comes home to your life, when you become a Christian, you now have been set apart for God's very own purposes. And what you must understand, first of all, is that holiness is not an option in the life of the Christian. It's just not. In fact, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. This is stunning. He says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, if you think that holiness is optional in the Christian life, you're really missing something. And here's the thing. Most of us, when we read this, we think, man, God is such a buzzkill. He's such a fuddy-dud, ripping me off of all my fun. And that's not at all what it means. It means that you have now been set apart for God's very purposes in this world to love Him and to love neighbor and to make the world around you a beautiful place. Holy people care for people in Houston who've lost everything the past couple days. Holy people care for their roommates when their worlds are falling apart. Holy people look at people on a Friday night who have had three too many drinks and says, come on, I'm taking you home. Because that's what God's very heart and character is for the world. To be, for you to be set apart and to live a life of holiness. And I want you to see this, that when the Bible is talking about this, holiness, first of all, is not something that you do. Do you see that? That what it means to be holy, first of all, is to be who you are. You have been set apart. Let me put it this way. The Bible puts it very clear that you are now holy people because you have been set apart. Romans chapter 6 talks about this, that the power of sin has been snapped over you because of what Christ has done in His death and resurrection. And because of that now, sin is not your master anymore. You You do not have to pay sin anything anymore because it is not your master anymore. Why did that happen? Because of God's work on the cross for you. Did you catch it there in the text? Verse 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Look at verse 14 as well. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, life before Christ, as it were, was a period of ignorance because we did not know the things of Christ. We did not know what He had done for us. And Peter is saying that when you become a Christian, you now live holy lives. You live consistent with your Father's character. You begin to bear the family resemblance. You begin to say, well, well. And so here's what this means for the Christian. That hope's result is actually that you look more and more like Jesus. And I just ask you, is that something that's being fleshed out in your life? Is that something that if you take the name of Christ, that you're beginning to see more and more, that people around you more and more are seeing you look more and more like Jesus. That really is the picture that that Peter is laying out for us. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old Welsh preacher, said. He puts it best when he says this. He says, Holiness is not something that we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. It is, we might say rather, it is something we are told to do because of what we already are. And how you understand that relationship, what I am to do and who I am, tells me if you know what Christianity is all about. Because Christianity at its core, y'all, says this, you are something before you're ever told to do anything. You are someone. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High King. And because you are, now you live out of that. You are holy. Now we live holy lives. That's what Peter's trying to get across. Your identity, who you are, is the ground, it's the foundation for how you live your life. And I want to suggest to you that if you get that wrong, you will make your life miserable because you will flip it and you will try to spend your whole life trying to prove to God why He ought to love you, why He ought to accept you through your good works, through your holy living, through your not drinking, smoking, and chewing, and going with girls that do, okay? That's, it will kill you. It will crush you. You must get it this way first. That really is the picture that He wants you to see. And here's the thing I want you to show you as we begin to move into our third point. When you hear me say this, when you hear me say this, I want you to know that many of us think, if I choose the holy life, if I choose this way, I will will lose myself. I will lose me being true to myself. You see, how many of y'all, please don't raise your hands, because I'm about to come after you in a little bit, (laughs) have ever used the language, I just got to live true to myself. You know what? The good life, the happy life, me being whole, is I just have to live true to myself. And I want to say, if you're a Christian, that is horrible theology. And you need to quit saying it. And you need to quit thinking it. Because what you're called to is not called to be true to yourself, insofar as it has anything else to do with your your identity outside of Christ. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. You are a son. You are a daughter. Happiness and holiness connected. When you begin to live out of who you are, that's your truest self. And you want to know joy? You live a holy life if you're in Christ. You live a life that looks like your Father. That's the picture I want to drive home. 
Here's the thing, though. Who in the world can live like that? Who in the world can do it? All I've done so far is make you feel bad about yourself. That's all I've done. I've not given you a lick of hope yet. But thankfully, Peter does. And did you catch it in these last few verses? Lastly, what is the cost? What is hope's cost? What is hope's cost in these last few verses here? Did you see it in verses 18 to 21? I read it earlier. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. Here's the point what I want you to see. That our future hope that we have, it comes at a cost. That hope, our future hope, this grace being revealed in verse 13, is secured for us because of something that happened in the past. Our present, our future is secure. We, we grasp basis of it in the present because of what's happened in the past because Christ has spilt His own blood. There it is. Christ's own blood for us. And here, what Christ's blood do for us? Did you see it there? It ransomed us. It ransomed us. Now, I don't know what y'all think about when you think of ransom. I think about um, the old Mel Gibson movie called Ransom. I don't know if you ever saw it, but um, it probably came out when you were three or something. But... Um, the picture is, is that a ransom note, right? I've kidnapped somebody and I'm going, and if you want the person back, you give me the money that purchases their freedom. You've been ransomed in that way. You've been bought back. That's what Peter wants you to see and understand is that your old master, sin, slavery to sin, Christ has purchased you. He has ransomed you from your former owner. If you are in Christ, the payment has been paid and, and your master is no longer sin. You have a new master and that is God Himself. And what He's trying to get you to see here is this, is that you have been set free from the slavery of sin. It is not your master anymore. And because, therefore, it is not our master anymore, we owe it nothing. Therefore, we don't make payments to our old master we are part of a new family. We have a new master. And therefore, we live for Him. Here is what I want you to begin to see. Dear friends, I want you to see that what lies, therefore, at the very heart of salvation is that, is that salvation is a gift. That it is something that is given to you it is something, not something that you can earn. It is not something that you can go out and win and procure for yourself. You see, many of us actually think this, that what it means to be a Christian is that the last day and the last analysis for our good things that we have done to tip in favor of what we've done good and hopefully they outweigh the bad things that we've done in our lives. And many of you who are not Christians, who look on the inside, think that that's what the picture of what it means to be a Christian is. That God loves people who do good things. And I want to tell you in no uncertain terms, that is not Christianity. God loves us and receives us and accepts us, not on the basis of our good merits or our good works. But because of the finished work of Jesus, because of His blood... It's the question that all of you, if you are in Christ, ought to be able to answer. That if anybody ever says to you, 
Why should Jesus let you into heaven? You say, because of his blood purchased me. Because his blood has done that for me and I now am his. He is mine and I am his forever. And that is meant to give you incredible hope in the present. And when that begins to get down in your bones, y'all, it changes you. Listen to what Mark Twain says. I love this. It's hilarious. He says this, Heaven, my point, is by favor. It's by grace, we might say. If it were by merit, if it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. And isn't that really true? I mean, that's what we talk about every week at RUF. Is that this is for people. This is a place. This room and everything that we do will always be a place for men and women who see their sin and who see their need because Jesus is big enough for all of our needs. There's one man who used to write this. He says, I have a great need for my Savior and I have an even greater Savior for my need. Isn't that good? Doesn't that tell us something about what Jesus has done for us? That really is the picture of hope's cost. In other words, hope came at a cost and it was for Jesus himself. And I just want you to begin to see, I want you to see that when you begin to have this come crashing home in your life, that it begins to reorient how you do life in the present. It begins to fade your anxiety away because you're not worrying every step of the way, am I going to be good enough for God to receive and accept me? You can put that to rest. He does and He has in Christ once forever finished. When Jesus died on the cross, What were the last three words that he said in English? It is finished. It's done. Finished. You don't add anything to it. And that's meant that will give you hope, y'all, in the present. It will encourage you when you're screwing up. Because it means you have an inheritance that does not fade, that you can't get to and jack with. And it all has to do because you are in him. You are His. You are His son. You are His daughter. Ten years ago, one of the most powerful scenes on the cinema that I've ever seen came out in a movie called Blood Diamond. Have you all ever seen this movie? It stars Leonardo DiCaprio. And one, uh, one character, his name is Dia Vendi. And he is a boy of about 10 or 12 that has been kidnapped in the purposes of harvesting diamonds for illegal sale. He has lived the hard life in his young years. And he's even been forced into an armed child army where he has killed people in the protection and the procurement of these diamonds. Well, near the end of the movie, Dia's father, Solomon, is out to rescue him. And being so brainwashed to defend diamonds and to protect his overlord, Dia picks up a handgun and points it at the head of Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Solomon, the father, sees it. And this is what he says. Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vindi of the proud Mindy tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. I know they made you do bad things. But you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me and be 
my son again. Do you see what's happening here? The father is reminding his son of his identity and the promises that he has. And it gives him a hope that includes coming home again. Friends, when you're caught in the middle of whatever it is, when you've lost all hope, I don't care what you have done. I don't care who you are. If you look to Jesus, you have the God of the universe saying this, you are my son. You are my daughter. I am your father and I love you and you will come home to me and we will live life together again. And y'all, when that begins to get down in your bones, it gives you a hope because there's a true hope that's outside of you that is real. And the last thing I want to say is, is that Christianity says that God's perfect son ransomed us, literally bought us out of sin and slavery by his own blood. Not because, and because of his death and resurrection, not because of ours, a future hope has been secured for us. If you are in Christ, y'all, God promises you will come home and be my son. And I will love you from this day forth forever. And when you begin to set your hopes fully on that promise, it actually begins to change you in the present. It crushes your pride. It gets you over yourself. And you know what? It gives you a joy that can never, ever, ever be lost. That is on offer for you tonight. I don't care if it's for the thousandth time or for it's the first time. It can be yours. Take it. Receive it. Believe it. It's on offer. Let's pray.